This morning we are digging into Psalm chapter 2. And before we even start with my notes, I just want to say this. We don't like kings. We're Americans. We don't like kings. But there's a deeper issue, right? We're sinners. We don't like authority. We don't like anyone to tell us what to do. So it's good that as we dig into this this morning, we've had the past month behind us to establish the authority and rightness and goodness and gracious, graciousness of God as we've looked at Him as the I Am. He is Jesus, the great I Am. He is Jesus, the life. He is Jesus, the way. He is Jesus, the gift. He's Jesus, our peace. And today we look at Jesus, the reigning King. And we look at Psalm chapter 2 to do that. And I trust that, that as we go through this, a little bit of a background on Psalm chapter 2, that it will help us as we go to better understand the application of it in the end. You see, the wise men that we spoke of last week, the wise men from the east were seeking the one who has been born the king of the Jews. We read that in Matthew chapter 2. But today we see that Jesus is not merely the king of the Jews, but the reigning king of kings, anointed by God and reigning in sovereignty, holiness, justice over all the earth. So with that, to see that, let's turn if in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. And we'll go to some other passages, but this will be the passage that we work through. Psalm 1 and 2 are what some people call gateway psalms. They are the way in which we enter into the book of the psalms to understand them well. And it actually helps us position ourselves before the Word of God and, the, the, and God Himself in such a way that we're ready to understand the psalms. You understand Psalm 1 and 2, it will help you understand the rest of it. Psalm 1 identifies obedience to and delight in the law of God, in the, in the Torah, right? In God's Word to His people. It's written, and so it's one of the two doors to help us understand the psalm. Psalm 2 presents a powerful depiction of God and His anointed one over and against the plotting of the earth's rulers. He will have dominion over. It emphasizes obedience and delight in the reigning king. So what's interesting, though, is that in Psalm 1, it begins with, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits not the seed of the scornful and goes from there. begins with blessing. Where does Psalm 2 end? Blessed is the man who finds his refuge in God. It begins and ends with the blessing of God. Those are, and that's, that's intentional, I believe, in an understanding that blessing, true blessing, lasting blessing, blessing that, that is rooted deeply and eternally is found through the Word of God in the person of God. And so as you look at the rest of the Psalms, you begin, you see this thread of, of David continually coming back to the Word of God and the person of God. No matter what happens around him, no matter what other people do, even when it gets him all stirred up and provoked, what does he do? He comes back to the person of God and the Word of God. 
And he finds refuge and blessing in God and His Word. So these are inseparable and key to understanding not only the Psalms, but how our internal worship and delight in God then plays out into how we live our life in the King's domain. So as we look at Psalm 2, we, we recognize that it is a kingship psalm. It speaks of the divine king as well as the earthly anointed that Israel would have recognized, right? It's, it's first and foremost, they would have seen it as played out right there in front of them in the Davidic line. See, Psalm 2 likely functioned as a psalm that accompanied the inauguration of the divinely appointed heir whenever they were cor- they went through their coronation. I didn't know the words for it, right? I'm just not a king guy. But the, they would have used that at that time, and it would, they would have seen it as a fulfillment of God's promise, His covenant with David, when He said in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before Me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that's the theological background to David or to Psalm chapter 2. So the faithful would have had some questions. We would have had some questions. As the line of kings would have come and gone um, through the time of the monarchs, we would have looked at them and went, how exactly does Psalm 2 translate into that guy? who's on the throne, because they were a bunch of hypocrites. They were saying that they were God's anointed, but they sure didn't act like it, right? Well, then they went into exile. It was so bad, God sent them into exile, and there was no king. But then in the post-exilic days, when they came back out of exile, there would have been the faithful who would be looking to God's word and to God's promises and going, oh, we see. There's something more. And we saw some of this as you read through the, the Christmas story, if you will, and then you see the, those at the temple who were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to come. You see that, that they began to have an eschatological view of this Messiah. And I know we got kids in here and there may be a few big words we mean, but basically what that meant was they weren't just seeing it as the king who's on the throne in Zion, in Jerusalem, but they began to see that, oh, there's another king coming. The problem is they still saw it as an earthly king for the most part, right? Instead of seeing it as the king of kings. But once that monarch had ended, monarchy ended with, back with Zedekiah, and they went through that exile, that hope began to be fulfilled in a future Messiah, which was affirmed every time you read the word Christ or the Christ or Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. That was the Greek, sort of the Greek rendition or equivalent to the Messiah. And so that's, that's just saying every time you see it over and over, he's that one. He's the anointed, which we see in Psalm chapter two, the, the anointed one. So, with that background in, in our minds and sort of there to help us as we walk through it, we want to look at Psalm 2. 
And in Psalm 2, as through all the Psalms, one thing you want to try to do is look at the different voices. Now, our theater people in here are loving this, right? You've got to have different voices, different people basically speaking. And in this Psalm 2, we have different voices. One voice is the psalmist, likely David, most people believe. And so you've got the psalmist. You've got, second of all, the voice of God, which we'll see in our second section. And then in the third section, you'll see, well, in the first section, you'll see, actually, the voice of the rulers of the earth and what they're up against. And finally, we see the voice of God's anointed king. But interestingly, what does the anointed king do? He quotes God. And then we're back to the narration. So in Psalm 2, 1 through 3, David, the psalmist, questions and reports on the rebellion of the nations. He begins it with a question. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In this section, we're going to see that the plans of mankind come up empty in opposition to God's purposes. David poses the question, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? He asks that question in order simply to point out how worthless it really is. Why do you do this? Parents, you ask your kids that. Why do you do this all the time? Why can't you think? Can't you? Kids, have you ever heard your parents say that? Like, why do you do this? I just told you, why do you do this? You know I can see you, right? So why do they do that? Why is it that mankind, even though it is worthless to to oppose God, why does he do it? Why do we do it? Well, David writes that the nations rage. There sort of uses a couple of phrases here that I think are really interesting. And poetry's like that. Because poetry is meant to help you not just read truth, but to actually feel it. Right? You, it should present a picture. And it's interesting that a third of Scripture is written in poetry. For those of you that don't like poetry, you've got a problem. Right? Because the intent, I believe, is that God just doesn't want us to know truth. He wants us to feel it, to understand. It should be everything. Our our body, soul, and spirit is all affected in this, right? So he presents this, and he says, the nations rage, but the people's plot in vain. Well, a rage, we can sort of understand that. What that is, is just a loud gathering, a loud assembly. Think of a protest, and that's pretty much what it is, right? It's a protest. We're going to get together against God. But then the next phrase, and the people's plot in vain, that actually in Hebrews means that they mutter under their breath. Huh. It's not, it's not just chanting against God. Hey, no, we won't go. No, no. It's, it's rather they gather as though they have this strong show of force. But in fact, they're muttering under their breath thinking that they're doing this in secret, quietly. And he paints this picture that it's empty. It's not only muttering, but it's empty muttering. There's, there's no hope for it. It's vain. It's empty. So why do they imagine that their plans can succeed? Why did Satan imagine that his plans could succeed? 
Why do, we, why do any of us imagine that our will and our plans can succeed in opposing Almighty God? It's at the very heart of why we sin. We imagine, we imagine that our plans will lead to a better, more pleasurable, more fulfilling, more intelligent outcome than that which God prescribes. Think about it. Why do we do any of the sin we do? When, when we steal, why do we steal? Well, it's going to be better if I steal and I have this than to honor God and to trust Him. Why do I covet? Well, if I had that, if I had my neighbor's stuff or his wife or whatever, I'd be happier. And God says, no, you wouldn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would. And you can go through God's commands and you can see that we, we set ourselves up to be the judge, the king of what is going to truly give us pleasure, to bring us satisfaction. We imagine that somehow in our limited knowledge and wisdom that we know better than the all-wise, almighty God as to what's best and what's right. Like a toddler. A toddler who has been told many times to not do something, and yet, maybe even in the full view of their parents, they sort of sneak off to the side and put their back to you, right? And they're doing something over there. Or they close the door of their room, right? And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's quiet. Something's going down. Okay, and and they're not get. They think they're getting away with it, and sometimes even children will just do this because you're not there. You're not there if they can't see you. That's part of brain development, right? They if they don't see it, that's why peekaboo works, right? I don't see you. Oh, oh, wow! And the baby cries. You cover up their eyes, and then they're oh, dad's there again. Wow, he's amazing. But we play peekaboo with God. We play peekaboo acting as though God is not present. And we can do what we please. We can do what we want the way we want. Like a toddler, like a child. And the psalmist says this in Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They are they do abominable deeds and there is none. Who does good? You see, the outcome of ignoring God, the outcome of denying God, will ultimately lead to sin and rebellion and ungodliness. This is true whether one fully tries to deny God and say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God at all. Or whether in our daily lives we claim to believe, yet we live in a way that denies God's presence, denies the King's will, denies the knowledge of him. So how does God respond to such foolishness? He does not say, well, they're just proving that they're human, right? That's a common thing in, in, among Christians today. Well, they're just human. Yeah, we are human, and that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need to learn the King's ways. We need to learn the King's will. We need to learn the King's decrees. Because he has a better way. And to to merely excuse our sin and our poor behavior because we're merely human. That is sinful. It is actually an excuse to rebel against Almighty God. 
And so God doesn't treat it lightly. Psalm 46.6 says this, The nations rage, there's that loud gathering again. The kingdoms totter. In other words, they're, they're just hanging on by a thread. He utters his voice and the earth melts. So God's not, God's not up, uptight about all this. Like, oh no, things are getting so bad down there on planet earth. What am I going to do with a word? Or as Martin Luther would say, one little word would fell him. Speaking of Christ's word against Satan himself. He's, he's not concerned. The protest and plotting against Almighty God stand no chance. The psalmist narrates God's derisive response to the kingdoms and rulers in verses 4 through 6. He says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Like, I see what you're doing here. Okay, I, I see it. But, but you got you, and I've got my king. I have seated him, and he is ruling, period. There's no benefit to opposing God's will and purposes. It doesn't pay. It does not pay to oppose the plans of God. God takes no delight in the death of his wicked. And some of you may have read that passage and went, well, there we go. There's that Old Testament God, right? He's just really looking for someone to squash. He's up there looking for someone to get. And, and maybe you grew up that way. That, oh, God is, all God is is just looking to ruin my pleasure, to ruin my life, and to take me out. Well, here's the deal. The King of Kings has made His decree. He is, he is the Creator. He is King of all things. And He has decreed the manner in which we are to live in His world. And when we don't, we step into His wrath. We step into opposition. Right? He's not going to take it lightly. And we don't like that. That's the part that begins to grate at us. Okay? But I want to tell you this. I want you to hold on. Because where this goes by the end of the psalm is such a beautiful proclamation of God's grace. Because in spite of what is going on here, in spite of what's going on, God's going to provide an opportunity in the end. So what's the message to the faithful? When God says, I hold you, the earth, those that oppose me in derision. What does it mean for us as believers when he says he's going to speak to those who oppose him in wrath? And what does it mean for us when, when he says, I've got my king, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So what does it mean? First of all, do not be, be afraid and do not depend on the world's rulers. Don't look to them. And if you want to have a longer explanation of that, you can go back a few weeks in our, in our sermons to Revelation chapter 11. And we talk more about that. But the Lord God's power and authority is such that the mightiest of rulers are, are, not limit, are so limited in power and lifespan that he laughs at them derisively or derisively, wherever you want to say that. He, he jeers at them. And we, we might struggle with that, don't you? I mean, to think of God just <laughs> laughing like that, like not in a happy way, but like, are you, are you kidding me? Right? 
It's like Michael Jordan, trying, young Michael Jordan or old Michael Jordan, I don't care which one you pick, um, trying, and I, I try to go play him. He's going to be like, are you kidding me? This is, this is what you got, right? You ain't got no game. Um, there's no chance. Or for those of you that, that are more the LeBron era, right, uh, the young LeBron or old LeBron, no, it doesn't matter. I, I don't have a chance. Except it's even more so. And God looks at it and says, are you kidding me? That's, that's what you've got? That's the best you've got? And he holds them in derision. He says, here's what I've got for you. If you continue in that, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're going to reap what you've sown. If you, if you oppose me and you oppose my reign, then you will receive your just reward. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And this, this theme is carried throughout the Psalms and through the prophets. I'm going to quickly go through three passages. Um, they should be on the screen for you. Um, just quickly go through three of them. Psalms and the prophets, first of all, Psalms. Psalm 37, verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. In other words, he sees the end game. He sees where it's going. He's like, why? That's ridiculous. You think you're getting all this, but in the end, here's what you get. You're going to get destruction. Isaiah 40, 15 and 17 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. This is not talking about value. This is not talking about how he views mankind. He's saying that in, in terms of weight against God, there's nothing. We got nothing. And then Psalm 115, 2 and 3 says, Why should the nation say, where is their God? And the psalmist puts it this way, Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. So what do we take from that? What do we do with that? One thing that got impressed on my heart this week was, was I, I don't set up my own kingdom. We're not to set up our own kingdoms. We're not to be like the earthly rulers. And far too many believers say, I want to give acknowledgement to the king, but I'm going to set up things my way. I'm going to do things my way. Even churches will set up their, this is, we, we develop our own vision. We develop our own plan. We develop our own way. It's God's church. And we are His people. And we're to submit to His will, to His plan, and His way. The problem with setting up your own kingdom is they, it ultimately will crumble. It has to, because you don't go on. One way or another, it, first of all, you have flawed wisdom, right? You have flawed intentions, and then you have a limited lifespan, right? And to be able to carry that out one way or another, it will crumble. So don't be like the nations, planning your own life with no regard for God. Don't go on living day after day, year after year, as if it's your plans which will prevail. You hear people that will claim on, on social media, 2024 is my year. I hope not. I hope not. I hope it's the Lord's year as played out through your life. And that he, he would, his plans would rule. And the struggle with that immediately is, well, that may not look like what I want it to look like. That may be more difficult than I had planned. That may not come with the bank account 
that I had planned. That may not come out with the material success that I had hoped for. Ah, but remember, Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Remember Psalm 2.12, blessed is the man who finds his refuge in God. That's where this is going. You see, the sovereign reign of King Jesus is settled and sure, unlike ours. Our, our reign is tenuous. It, it is affected by the circumstances of life and by life itself. The anointed one here in this section now speaks and relays God's words of affirmation. He says, I will tell of the decree, the anointed said. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And this is where, as we noted earlier, Israel would have seen the, the coronation of their king. They would have used this likely. They would, have, they would have seen it as Israel's kings of the Davidic line, God's anointed to reign over his people. They're supposed to reign according to his law. As a matter of fact, did you know that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, each king was commanded to write his own copy of the law in a book that was supposed to be checked by the Levitical priest. I don't know that that happened very often. Based on what we see of the kings in the Old Testament. That's a tedious tedious thing. There's a whole series of devotional books, really not devotional, but a way to study the Bible called the 1117 series. And what you do is you get a book that on that is actually one page is blank and the other page as blanks with numbers. And what you do is you get your Bible and you copy those the relevant verses for that passage, whether it's the book of James or you're going through the Psalms or whatever, and you copy it line upon line, line upon line, making your attention go into his word. And there's something about writing down God's word and focusing on it slowly, word by word like that, that has an effect on you. You, you're, you're, you're in a, you can't hardly escape it. And if you start daydreaming, well, that, I mean, you may be Thomas Jefferson and you can write in two languages or whatever, but most of us can't, right? Most of us have a hard time writing one word at a time and, and writing it in a legible fashion. But that, that was intended to focus them on who they were anointed by. And whose plans were to be put into play and into action. If you know the Old Testament, you know that didn't go so well. Because the majority of the kings were no better than the kings of the other nations. They explored and pursued their own pleasures and their own passions and their own plans. And so God sent the nation of Israel into exile. A time where there were no prophets and the nation did not hear from God. But then he sent his son. Then at the baptism of his son, which came at about the age of 30, we believe. At the baptism of Jesus, we see a reference back to this theme in Psalm chapter 2. Many of you already caught it, right? About the son. 
Matthew 1.11 says, And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved, my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. We see that same, This is my son. This is my son. And in the Gospels, we read of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, which when he prophesied that the, the, your king will come seated on a donkey. And we see that actually played out in John chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. He says, so they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And then quotes back to Zechariah and says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. See, Jesus is the king. He's, uh, he's spoken of in the Old Testament. He's affirmed in the New Testament. But he's not yet eternally ended the earthly reign of the prince, who, uh, this prince of the power of the air, Satan. He's not ended the reign of the nations. But one day, Revelation 11 tells us that he will. Verse 13 of Revelation 11 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In that day, we're going to see two things very clearly. We're going to see God's judgment on those who have continued in rebellion, but we're also going to see beautifully his reward. For those who have submitted to the king. Revelation 11.18 says this. And I wonder if you'll pick this up. Taking you back to Psalm chapter 2. You should because I just warned you that it's coming. The nations raged. Sound familiar? This is Revelation 11. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Both of these two things, both wrath and reward, are absolutes in the kingdom of God. You continue in rebellion and it's an absolute. There is no escape. There's no way around it. There's not other ways to circumvent it. There is but wrath except for those who have their hope and faith in the King, in the Son. And in those they find great reward. And God extends a gracious call to those who are living in rebellion. And we see this in Psalm chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Here's God's gracious call to the nations. And notice how it's intertwined. It's intertwined both the, the reward aspect but also also those the wrath part. In other words, both are going to move forward. You're going to see reward and you're going to see wrath. Both are there. But in the end, you are provided, we are provided with a, with a call. And he says this in verse 10. Now therefore, here's the conclusion, in other words. Because these things are true. Number one, that man's plans will never stand against Almighty God. Then that God's reign is eternal and secure. And that, that they, there's none that will stand against him. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then this 
line, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Since no plan of man can prevail, since no ruler has greater authority and power, since Jesus' rule is supreme and eternally sure, the only wise response, the only wise response is to submit to the king and find refuge and blessing in him. Now again, little aside, little reminder, this is where we're reminded that we don't like kings. We don't like kings in America. Much of the world doesn't like kings, and if there are parts of the world that like kings, they probably don't like everything about their king. But that's because they're man's kings. That's because they are flawed. They are basically powerless, no matter how much power they wield. And if in America, we actually use it against the president. He's acting like a king. He's acting like a dictator. He's acting like, a, like he's the supreme ruler or something. And understand, because they are but sinners. God warned Israel, right? When they said, we want a king, we want a king. He said, well, you're, you can have a king, but it's not going to go real well for you. Because they're men. They're going to take your sons and daughters. They're going to take your money, Right? And you're going to have to send your sons out to war and your daughters to serve. It's not going to be great. And that has been the history of kings throughout the ages. It's not been that great. And yet there's one king whose way is perfect, whose law is good and right and life-giving. One who, when we submit to him, we find joy forevermore. We just can't hardly fathom that. And that's why we desperately need the Word of God to reveal that, that truth about who He is and about His will. Because that's not naturally how we think or feel. We need to know this King. This God. This God. 2 Samuel 22.31 says, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. And he's a shield for those who take refuge for him. He's not going to be a king where he makes you empty promises. Hey, come here. Come vote for me. Come be for me. Come under my care. And then he's either powerless or a liar. And he turns on you and only takes what he wants. No, this is one. This is one who is a shield, who will prove true and his ways are perfect. So what would the king have you do? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, give us a good insight. We see that the king would have you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. But listen, listen to the rest of that. We usually quote those two verses and stop there. Be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't set up your own rule. Don't set up yourself as as the all-wise one. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Sounds an awful lot like God's blessing. And I'm not talking about health and wealth blessing here. That is not the promise 
of Psalms. That is not the promise of the Proverbs. It got turned into that by many who made it merely about this, about their, their current existence. It was, it was much more than that. Did God have some of those promises for his people of Israel? He talks about diseases and those things that he spared them from. Certainly. God can do that. But the hope is found in resting and taking refuge in the King of Kings. While our hearts call out for us to follow our own hearts, to seek our own plans and pleasures, God says, delight in me and follow my plans, and you will find true, lasting blessing and reward. So the question is, how can we do this? Really great to be challenged and to say, hey, let's do this. Okay, how do we do this? How can we begin to more and more take pleasure in the Word of God and in the God of the Word? Well, Proverbs 16.20 says this. Here's the right place to start. Whoever gives thought to the Word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What if, what if, what if in 2024, what if in 2024, those opening moments of every day, and you're going to, some of you are going to say, I've heard this my entire life. Okay, great. And if you're doing this, fantastic. You're, you're starting in the right place. But what if in 2024, we woke up saying, King, King Jesus, What are your plans? What are your purposes? What's your will? What are your plans? What are your purposes? And what are your will for me today? And as many have said, we don't sit there and hum, I want to hear from God. No. If you want to hear from God, he's already spoken. And we open his word and let him speak to us. Except We're not content with that. No, I I want something more. But we don't even know him, and we don't know what he said. We haven't even rested and found refuge in his precious promises. And our king has great plans. Our king has a perfect will. Our king is all wise. Our king, his promises are precious and good and right. And friends, we just struggle to be, to remember that. And what if we spent our time reminding ourselves of these things in order that we might honor Him, in order that we might remember His promises, in order that we might delight in His ways? So how do we implement that? That's the application of it. In in other words, how do we know Him? How do we know the King? And how do we know His decrees? Well, we, we do that. How do we implement it? Implementation is the next step. Application says, yes, we need to do this. This is what he calls us to. Implementation comes down to where the rubber meets the road. What do you need to do? What does Stephen Schultz need to do before God each and every day to position himself correctly before the king, to reverence him, to honor him as we're called to do? Well, maybe I need to wake up earlier. And you're saying, oh man, this is putting a real, real load on me. No, I'm, I'm suggesting. I, I, this, is not, this is truly me thinking out loud. Maybe I need to wake up earlier. Maybe, I don't have my phone on me, I left it there on the seat. Maybe I need to do more of that. 
Maybe I need to not, first thing, wake up and check how many books sold through the night, right? Those of you who are like, what in the world is he talking about? I sell used books online, okay? And I wake up and I want to know, oh, oh, who cares? Lord, what are your plans? What are your purposes? And what's your will for me today? Maybe I need to set that aside. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to walk out here and pick up my resource or my devotional and use, and use that tool just to set it there and to be more disciplined, right? Maybe I need to make plans to meet with someone else. Maybe I'm just, I'm no good at this. Maybe you're, you're, you've tried the, you know, you're just like when you exercise. Like if you try to do it on your own, you stink at it. But if you can have someone else, right, that you can do this with, you're better at it. If it's important, we prioritize it. Are you going to make the king's priorities your priorities, in other words? You know, there's opportunities throughout the week that you could meet with others to encourage you. If you're struggling to get started, you know, until you develop that discipline, go and meet with them. Be encouraged to make the king's priorities your priorities. I know there's a number of those kind of groups already meeting. Or if they don't meet at a time that you can do it, be proactive and invite a friend. Say, hey, let's get together. Let's do this. Right? That's the church being the church. I know I have a group that's going to be starting this Thursday. There's still room. There's room for three or four more. You could start this week. Right? 6.30 in the morning on Thursday morning. We're going to read through the book of James together. Right? Join us. Love to dig into that with you. Because the king is worthy of the honor. The king is worthy of it all. But there's the beautiful part. And did you hear the gracious promises that were spread through there? When he said, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. As you come to the end of the year, whether it's been a crazy fata kind of December, Right? A Christmas to remember in a different way, right? Or whether it's something, just the world at large. Take refuge in Him. His promises are certain. And some of His promises include, I will never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. His promises are, that He, he promises to provide everything we need for life and Godness. In fact, He's told us that He already has provided that. Second Peter. His promises are all throughout God's word and promises that you can take refuge in. How do you take refuge? You come to that promise and you trust it and you, you rest in it. Say, I'm not, I know this is happening out here. I know my mind wants to take me here. I know my plans and my desires and my pleasures all want to take me here. But Lord, I can rest here. I can rest right here in your promises. And say that, King, I trust you. I trust you. And if you've not trusted the Lord in that way, you don't know how precious it is on the other side when you've experienced that true blessing. And I, I've I just, even as I've started across, I've seen a number of heads shaking, yeah. Because that sounds like a fake promise. And young people, let me tell you, kids... You may hear all these things and go, ah, does that really? 
But let me tell you, when you live life and you come up against a hard time of life and you realize that his promises have kept you through it and you come out the other side and you have joy and peace and still have hope in spite of all that stuff, let me tell you, there's nothing that can, there's nothing other than God telling you it's going to be that way, like experiencing it day by day. And so, friend, the call today is to come to him, to kiss the son. What does that mean? To submit to the son. To delight in being his loyal subject. Kiss the son and know his blessing and his peace in spite of all that we face. And I would pray that, that this psalm, 119, 14 through 16, could be a, a prayer for each of us. In 2024, it says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate in your, on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. You want to honor the king? Man, delight in his word. Let's pray. Sovereign king, Lord, I pray that you would let us pass through this year with faithful hearts that we might in all things please your loving eyes. May we delight in your word that we might know you and delight in you. May we know your word that we might find refuge in you and your promises. And Lord, may we hope in your rule and in your reign, living with a confident hope in your return and in the rewards and blessings which you have reserved for those who love you. And love your reign. God, I pray that as we move forward, that we would not be content to pursue the, the, the passing stuff of, of our pleasures and of this world, but that we would step into the wonderful refuge of you and your precious promises. We pray this in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our King and only hope. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.